listening to episode 218 of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. My name is Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we return to our discussion of Joss Whedon's Dollhouse before heading into season two of Traveler. So we're going to get to talk about two episodes from season two, which is cool. I have really enjoyed this one. Yeah, it was okay. Oh, dude, really? <laughs> You know, it, it's yeah. it's funny, you know, I'm I'm midway through season three of Buffy at this point, and I've been listening to a podcast called Dusted, where it's a husband and wife that, that really go into each episode from an academic approach. They're really great. Unfortunately, they got divorced <laughs> before they could finish the podcast. Oh. But wow. that's that's another issue. I know Diane was very upset because she was listening to them uh, regularly. But they do something that I thought was really cool, and that from from episode one, season one, they came up with a ranking of the episodes. So naturally, episode one, season one, that's ranked number one. Okay. Episode two, did we like it better? Yes. Okay. That moves into the number one spot. So that, uh. you know, it seems like a really easy way to rank things and you know of course we're too far behind at this point to do it but if the you know idea comes up maybe we should try something like that i think it was pretty cool idea okay yeah i can be down with that yeah i mean you know oh no i mean like we do like you know put some thought into the the grades we give them but we do sometimes the thought comes like about a minute before we actually give the grade but uh but yeah, yeah, whatever. Right, but I mean, if yeah. you have two that are graded A, I mean, one is probably yeah. Which one's better, yeah, right? Yeah, and you just kind of keep. Well, moving. this is no epitaph one. I'll just I'll say wow, that. Wow. Okay. Well, we'll we'll talk about that in a second. Um, you know, I, I, you know, you guys out there, we'll see if you agree with Wayne or if you agree with me, <laughs> but. Love to hear your opinions on that. Sci-Fi TV Rewatch at gmail.com. You go to the website, leave a voicemail. You can record your own audio clip if you want. Send us a tweet at Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, or just go to the Facebook group, join up if you're not already a member, and go ahead and post there. So, Or a candy gram. Or a candy gram. Sent by a land shark. Exactly. All right. Well, we do have one piece of listener feedback this week, and that's from Don Lale. And he says that there are a couple of things about the Inhumans episodes last week that you guys should know. And Okay, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. This was good because, like, like you know, I we both really openly admitted that we were completely unfamiliar with the, uh, the comic book of the Inhumans. Right, so we'll see if it changes our... So this was good stuff. Yeah, yeah. So he says, number one, why they sent Triton, which was a point that I made because he sort of sticks out like a sore thumb, so to speak, with his yeah. hooves, but... he a green thumb. Exactly. Oh, Triton, right, yeah. right. Yeah, no, Triton. You're thinking... Oh, oh I'm thinking... Uh, Right, right, uh, uh, yeah. right. Trit- but Triton's got the little horns on his head, right? Because he's a uh, some sort yeah, of sea creature. And he's green. Yeah, he's all right. Green. So, no, so yeah. he says there was a stated policy that they were only bringing back in humans who change was such that they would no longer be able to function normally in society. So I'll grant you that the girl that was being chased did not look very different, but a it was darkish, and b most of her was covered up with clothes. But that's why they sent Triton, who would be it more... It sounds regretful when he wrote that, you know, like... Well, but he says that's why they sent Triton, who would be more believable in that regard, like they did with Reyna in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So I, I, I guess what you're saying, Don, is that because Triton looked different, he would be able to convince her to come with him, which makes right. makes sense. 
we get through that whole you're just some kind of crackpot, you know, part of the conversation, cut to the other unbelievable parts of it. Right. Now, his next point makes total sense, um, total agreement. And this is about the rover. If they continued to let that thing keep butting up against the barrier, sooner or later, someone would figure out that there was an active cloaking going on. Better to stop it now. That said, there were three or four of them smashed up in a dead pile, and the chances of that many rovers all running into Adelan is infinitesimally small. It looks to me like someone on Earth knows where Adelan is located. Also, this was not NASA. The firm's name was Callisto Aerospace, a private company. Right. Yeah, that was a good point. We completely missed that. But yeah. yeah, but it, it certainly makes, makes sense. All right, number three. Sure. In the comics, if I recall correctly, he says, the caste system was such that successfully passing through Terragenesis raised your status and failing it lowered it. But there was no requirement that anyone actually had to undergo the change. In point of fact, unless they changed it, Karnak did not undergo Terragenesis. Those mental abilities are his without ever having been changed, and again, if I recall correctly, were a large part of his reason for declining the change. They do change stuff, but this is something I very much doubt that they would mess with. All right. Four, Maximus's love life. Maximus did not fail Terragenesis in the normal way. He became a pure human, which made him very undesirable as a mate. Those who fail Terragenesis normally retain their inhuman genes. With a population of 1,400, a caste system, and a vanishingly small mortality rate, there may not be anyone suitable for Maximus barring something odd. So using census numbers from the year 2000, 30% of a human population would have 420 individuals aged 25 to 44, half of which would be female. That's not a lot to choose from, even before taking into account the caste system, and that people would tend to marry early in fear of being left out of the love lottery. Hmm. Yeah, now, I don't... I like that last bit, love lottery. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, I, I don't know if this is something that they're going to explore as the season goes on. And, you know, we've looked at so many pilots over the years of the podcast that we understand that they can't cover everything. So if, sure. if this is in fact something they're going to cover, you know, it makes sense, but it's it certainly, if nothing else, it's really interesting about Maximus. Why Hawaii? Yes. He says tax credits possibly, which is, <laughs> which is why everybody goes to Vancouver. But hmm, do you guys want to film in Hawaii or Vancouver? Hmm, Hawaii? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, and then, well, that's, you know, like, I mean, when the guys with Lost, you know, it's like, well, we could, there's a lot of places we could film this, but hey, let's set on a tropical island. Hey, guess where we got to go? Yeah. So, and, yeah. and then finally, he says, confusion as to why the revolution, if the royal family is so beloved. This one is pure conjecture on my part. I think the discontent is actually centered in the Royal Guard, which is relatively small, but a powerful group nonetheless. So it will be interesting to see how that plays out. And uh, again, that makes perfect sense. And Don, we really appreciate it. Great points, all some things that we didn't think about. And, you know, maybe they'll get covered. But yeah, Don, did you like the show? I guess, you know, you <laughs> certainly sound like you're a Marvel guy, which, you know, I, th yeah. I think. You know, you're you're. Are you more of a DC guy? Do you think? Um, that's a good question. Well, I, I thought this might come up this episode. So, believe it or not, I was actually preparing an answer for this. 
Um, when I first started collecting comic books when I was a kid, um, you know, I was definitely into Marvel. I like I collected Avengers, mostly some Spider-Man here and there. And then I kind of got out of it. And then uh, I got back into it like in college when I, the, you know, the Batman movie came out. So I started collecting Batman comics um, f- like pretty much through college. And then after college, I stopped collecting Batman. You know, so I stopped again and then I picked up Superman. So I collected Superman for a couple of years because actually it was like right around the, the death of Superman thing. I mean, actually, Batman was right around. Actually, I guess it was in the movie. It was the, the death in the family uh, when they killed off Robin that got me back into that. So, yeah, I don't know. I just, I guess I was kind of like wishy-washy following the uh, popular comic book trends of the time and uh, really didn't, you know, nail it. But, uh, you know, I, I kind of more have a greater affinity probably for the, the Marvel universe. Um, you know, Spider-Man probably be my absolute favorite superhero uh, X-Men, brilliant. Avengers, love them. So, yeah, I still like Batman, Superman, too, the classics. But uh, I tend to, you know, lean towards Marvel, especially since the Marvel movies are so much better than the DC movies recently, okay. in my opinion. Okay. Yeah, and I agree with you on that. And, and certainly Wonder Woman, the exception, because I thought that was a yeah. darn good DC movie. Yeah. And hopefully that's going to be the first of many DC movies that are at that caliber. So we'll see. Sure. But, all right. Well, listen, we'll we got see. a lot to talk about with Dollhouse. It's great to be able to get back to it, even though it's only for two episodes right now. And I, and I think it's pretty clear. We're probably going to end up finishing Dollhouse somehow, some way uh, before too long. But <laughs> this is very slowly and painfully, but no, yes, ultimately no, not painfully, dude. I mean, I, I, no, I mean, not painful, but yeah, like slow, like, you know, like painful if you want to like watch them all at once and, he, you know, talk about him at once because it's going to be like two here, one there, and so on and so forth. Well, that's yeah. true. All right. So this is episode one of season two entitled Vows, written and directed by Joss Whedon, and it aired on September 25th, 2009. So right off the bat, you are kind of lukewarm on this one. I think this is great. Yeah. And I guess as we often do, we'll talk about it and see if we both still think the same thing by the time we get to the end. So, okay. All right, first thing, the title, vows. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm looking at it as the certainly the wedding vows, which is the sure. engagement that we see. But you know, what is a vow but a contract that you will agree to do something, perform some service, whatever? And you know, Dewitt Tofer. Yeah, it's a verbal contract. It can only be accountable up to five hundred dollars <laughs> in the state of Maryland. Okay. So. Well, Dewitt, Topher, Boyd, and Ballard. I mean, to me, they vowed to be into this for the long haul. They're going to go down with the ship if that's necessary. And you know, I think we see a lot of indications of that, particularly with Dewitt and her reasoning behind letting echo basically just evolve on her own despite the dangers that that uh, go along with that but i i certainly look at it like that now on the other hand there's also a vow of secrecy for those in the dollhouse and, and to a certain extent that comes in with the contract that ballard has with dewitt and whether it's in writing or not it's certainly he's vowed to keep quiet as long as 
you give me something I want, which I found pretty interesting when we get to that, that he's yeah. actually yeah, yeah. a client at this point, right. I guess. He's not just belongs to the hair club for dollhouse. That's, that's right. All right. Well, we do get a timeline. We find out that Caroline Echo has been there for two years, which means she's got three left on her contract. Yeah. But then maybe more importantly, Epitaph One has not yet occurred. So right. one of the things I guess we have to talk about, and I think we mentioned this when we talked about Epitaph One, is Epitaph One the future or one possible future? And I don't think we can really answer that right now, but that's certainly something to consider as we go forward. Correct. Yeah. So Now, we do know we do get an Epitaph 2 at the end of Season 2, and, uh-huh. and it does... Uh, extend on epitaph one but you know we'll we'll get to that when we get to it now you know i mentioned dewitt acknowledging that she knows echoes evolving and and allows it to go on as she says though from a scientific curiosity standpoint knowing full well she can send her to the attic if she needs to and i'm thinking why would you risk it i mean you already have the alpha situation and while she's not a psychopath she's still a danger to the dollhouse um sure but well as dewitt mentions they're you know they're also running experiments for rossum too well they are so it could very well be that you know rossum knows about this and is you know telling her to let this ride out because they want to see what happens Okay, and that makes sense because I'm I'm wondering what it is she has to gain. She is a Rossum employee. I don't know that she has stock in Rossum. I mean, who knows? But that does make sense. I mean, I think what we do get out of Rossum over the past 14 episodes is that they see themselves as above the law and yeah, that they have think? so many, yeah, they have so many friends in high places that you know, perhaps they don't worry about. It. I mean, look, she mentions Boyd to Boyd when he's concerned about Ballard. We could just shoot him, kill him if he gets in the way. I mean, that is an option. She says it's yep. not an option I want to I want to use, but it's not off the table. Right. So, but I think what makes this episode for me is the Topher and what do we call her? Dr. Saunders, yeah, which, which is what Topher calls her. Boyd c- calls her Claire. Bo- Boyd calls her Claire, right? Was was that not her name before? Well, I assume it was, but we don't necessarily know that. I mean, I assume that was Dr. Saunders' name. Well, Dr. Saunders was a man. Yeah, but I mean, the most recent incarnation of Dr. Saunders. Okay. All right. Like I she knew the first name, right? Like it well, wasn't she, true. What, her the first name wasn't Doctor. Well, that's a good point. Uh, yeah. But uh, the exchange between these two throughout this episode, to me, it really cuts to the core of what they're looking at, which is you know the implications and ramifications of working in this dollhouse, and what it really does to the individual. I mean. Topher actually is humanized a little bit here. I mean, we almost feel sorry for him in some of these scenes. And coming almost. on the heel, well, coming on the heels of what we see in Epitaph 1, 
it kind of mm-hmm. makes sense. And he utters that line, I know what I know. And it almost just is easy to miss in this episode. I mean, of course, he repeats it. I did miss it. He repeats it so many so, times yes, in Epitaph 1, but but he does say right. it. So, uh, you know, so we'll look at that. That's cool. I didn't catch that at all. all. Right. So our opening scene, Echo's got a new handler. Uh, you know, we learn, you know, about the 39 personalities that she had. But, of course, Topher is certain that they've been wiped clean. He's not concerned. Of course, Boyd is right. concerned. But yet when they when they do that, do you trust me? You know, like that kind of that bonding thing, that projection. Um, you know, she says, with my life. But I didn't think she said it very enthusiastically. I thought it was... To me, I'm like, oh, that's she's Caroline right now. Yeah, you know? and, and and that's one of the things that's so fascinating is we're never really sure who she is, and you know, we'll get to the the scenes with Ballard in a second, and and really, it's the same with Doctor Saunders and Claire. We're never really sure exactly who it is we're talking to. Yeah, I just actually looked it up. Claire is Doctor Saunders' first okay. name. All right. Um, so they're imprinting Echo, and you know he's got the little image of the brain up there, and then all of a sudden the, the picture cuts out, and the black and white version of Bride of Frankenstein suddenly appears mm-hmm. instead of the brain scan image. And of course, he freaks out, but he immediately assumes that it's Dr. Saunders messing with him, which is, of course, yeah. what's happening. But you know the interesting thing, I mean, we all know the story of Frankenstein, and in the Bride of Frankenstein, the, the plan is to create that's Frankenstein. <laughs> yeah, the plans to create a mate for the monster, and right. while you know the scientists are all together and they're offering a toast to their venture, you know they utter the words to a new world of gods and monsters. Now I I've heard that phrase before, gods and monsters. So I'm I don't know if this is uh-huh. where it originates. I suspect it probably is, but it's all part of a campaign that Saunders is waging against Topher and I guess to a certain extent against the dollhouse and the Rossum corporation. But either way, this idea that Topher has been playing God while he can deny it all he wants. I mean, it's essentially true. All right. Now Boyd's worried about the current engagement. Again, alpha is mentioned just almost as an afterthought. But Boyd has always been concerned about Echo, and it's almost to the point where, and I get that the show's about Echo primarily, but but the fact that he doesn't ever seem to be worried about anybody else. Now, maybe that's because she's the one that's evolving as opposed to Sierra or Victor or anybody else. So, I mean, I guess that makes sense. But, you know, I mean, Topher in this opening scene really seems to be on edge and and the bride of Frankenstein on the monitor almost sets him over the edge, but, but he stands firm. His imprints are perfect. And, you know, I I guess what I think we find out most importantly is that Dr. Saunders has made this decision to go on with her doctor imprint, but she does have that awareness of who she really is and was well not she she doesn't know who she really is because remember boyd tells her hey we can go find out she's like adamantly doesn't want to know about that person 
No, no, um, but I mean she knows that she is an imprint. Right, right, right. Yes, she knows like the, the, that she is not that this Doctor Saunders, and what she's painfully aware of, is that Doctor Saunders is a fictitious individual, is a creation of Topher's, which pisses her off even more because she hates Topher. Right, and, and then like, she finds out why she hates him. Right. Well, she knows why. Or, right? or as he says later in their conversation, I didn't program you to hate me. You did that on yeah. your own. Right, right. Which is... But see, it, it, I think it seems like he did program her to have an aversion to him because when later she says, I can't stand the smell of you, he's like, oh, I did that. Yeah. You know, he's like proud of that. It's like, oh, that's awesome. Like, Well, it, it's as if he did things deliberately so that there would not be a physical and then right. by extension an emotional connection. And of course he was successful, perhaps more successful than he really wanted to be. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So well, now because yeah, she's, she's just, you know, she's, she's going crazy. She's putting like, where'd she get all those rats by the way? Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll get she to that. She never goes like, out. Well, let's talk about the engagement first. Um, you know, so so we see Echo walking down the aisle as a bride. Full well, blown first of all, they, there's the 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 lead up to that where they're like saying, "Well, this is a really messed up engagement," and so we're like, "Well, we've seen some pretty messed up engagements, so I want to see what they think is really messed up." Right, and of course, it's her getting married with, which is pretty messed up. Well, I guess what's really messed up, and in their eyes as well as I think ours, is that this has been a long-term undercover operation. So we're assuming this has been going on for months, right? Well, I mean, what? What my the, my first assumption actually was that some dude paid a buttload of money to marry one of the dolls, right? But we learned pretty early through on a, that's a not wedding true. ceremony, right? Right. But my first, you know, that that was my first thought. So I thought that is really freaking twisted because I'm like, man, like, you know, like all the people at the wedding, don't they know that that what's going on? And this girl, he just met her. All of a sudden, he's marrying her. Like, and then, and then I realized, oh, they, yeah, it is a, a long term engagement that they got going here. Right, and she's so cavalier about it, which I found pretty interesting. But she's marrying this sketchy businessman. We don't know exactly what he's into. At the beginning, I mean, we find out, you know, pretty quickly he's an arms dealer. But right. well, we know, yeah, because he's got like the, you know, his right hand man who's kind of goes behind a pillar to make a call and say, no, the shipment's not coming today. You know, we're just like, oh, what? You know, of course, you know, I think probably my first assumption was that it was drugs. Um, but yeah, we find out it's actually uh, arms. Yeah. So we see Ballard monitoring the engagement. And he looks none too happy, particularly when we get to the wedding night aspect uh, of this day. And then I'm thinking like, okay, did Joss really have Ballard doing push-ups while she's yeah. having sex with her? I'm like, dude, right. you know, Joss, I love it, but I, nah, there was something a little bit off-putting about it. But. Yeah, well, Ballard's got some issues here. I mean, like the fact that he's just having her do this in the first place and and- you know, like, well, right, ah. and, and we assume this is him as a client that 
that, okay, this is my part of the deal. You're going to allow me to use Echo so that I can crack this case. I mean, I think the thing that comes out about Ballard in this episode, not that we didn't know it before, but that he's willing to go to this extent, I mean, he's the epitome of obsession. And, And again, we've known he's been obsessed with Caroline all along. But now, it's not so much that he's obsessed with Caroline, He's obsessed with proving himself as an agent, even though he's no longer an FBI agent, right? He's going to crack this case because apparently he's failed at virtually everything he's tried as a, as an agent. I mean, I mean, I think that's what kind of comes across and certainly, uh, you know, the arms dealer mentions uh, his, his failed attempts to bring him down and, and, and other cases as well. So this obsession that he's willing to do basically these things that he's accused the dollhouse of doing, you know, for his own gain. You know, it seems like his, you know, I would say is probably his overzealous nature that has constantly, you know, kind of bite him in the butt, you know, like he just can't dial it down. You know, yeah. he goes too far. You can tell he's a guy who, who's not afraid to cut corners and, you know, and, you know, go maybe outside procedure to get things done. And, you know, that's not how the FBI flies. No. But when we look at, you know, the various characters and, and somebody like Topher, well, I mean, I'm not even sure it's fair to say he's obsessed with his job. He's just kind of uh, in this world where he feels he can do no wrong. As opposed to, to to Ballard, who again, it, this obsession will it get the better of him? Will his obsession not only bring him down but bring the others around him down? So, the thing that I thought was cool the way Joss laid laid it out, Echo is then back at Ballard's, and they oh, seem your, to be your buddy Joss, yeah, and, and they <laughs> seem to be friends. You know, we find out she's married this arms dealer so that the FBI can make a case, except it's not really the FBI. Does the FBI even know what they're doing? And and my guess is, no, they really don't. Well, yeah, that's the thing, right? Like, where is he going with this? Obviously, any evidence he comes up with is completely inadmissible in any court anywhere. Like, what's he doing? Like, what's the point? Like, that's what I mean about Ballard. He just, he's just like... I, you know, I want to nail this guy. I can't actually punish him, but I can prove that he's doing whatever he, he he's doing. Yeah. But you can't because, you know, you, what you come up with is useless here. Yeah. The FBI can't use it. You can't use it. What are you doing? Yeah. So is it just for his own self-aggrandizement just to make himself yeah. feel better? I, I, I guess. I, guess I don't know. Yeah. But – She's so casual about the sex, and then we find out that she's been imprinted to be this person. She's been imprinted to be his partner right. on this sting operation, and the handlers well, come in. and Yeah, I, I mean, I think we get that pretty – because, like, she's obviously not talking like the bride that just got married. And um, at first, like, so is she Caroline? Is this – because we saw in – uh, Epitaph one, right? We saw the flashback where you know she gets imprinted. They step into the elevator, and he's like, "How's your head?" And she's just like, "Oh, it's killing me." You know, so she's completely 
Caroline all the time, my first thought was, oh, it's Caroline. But that's pretty quickly, as you listen to her speak and her mannerisms, you're like, well, this is definitely not Caroline. And as you, yeah, as you said, it turns out the imprinter to be someone they've been partners for three years and working this case together. Right. And also in, in Epitaph 1, when the two of them come through the wall right there at the end, we know they're working together. But she gets caught trying to break into her husband's desk and he slugs her. And it certainly brings up, you know, an issue that, uh, you know, that how many blows to the head yeah. can these dolls take? Because I don't think yeah. this is probably, you know, uh, only her that would would exhibit this kind of uh, reaction. No, but, they definitely need a concussion protocol at the uh, end. Yeah, exactly. But he's on to her. She talks her way out of it to a certain extent. You know, he shows her the photo of her and Ballard and, and you know, suspects she's undercover. And I, I love how she turns it around on him, knows he's not who he says he is. And then it's that I am and will always be Mrs. Eleanor Penn. Mm-hmm. Who did they make me this time? Which yeah. obviously we understand the significance. He doesn't. Yeah. So, Eleanor Penn was the, the first one we saw, right? Exactly. The, the hostage negotiator, right? Right. So yeah. clearly this man is in a financial position to avail himself of the dollhouse if he so chooses. Sure. But that's not his first thought. His first thought, and, and rightly so, given his profession, that it's an undercover sting operation, which of course is what it is. But mm-hmm. we find out that, that he's got a briefcase of... I guess, as he explains, they're not really dirty bombs in and of themselves. They need to be added to a little bit of plutonium. But, mm-hmm. you know, they're at this airport. Ballard's got eyes on her, calls Topher that something's not right. And, and of course, it's not. But I, did you notice in the background, while, while this co- phone conversation's taking place, Claire is drinking from a flask? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, we and, saw that. Yeah, and we'll get to that in a second. But Ballard comes out of the shadows, asks him to let her go, and then I love what he did. Now, I'm not sure why he had to slug her so many times. Yeah. But Well, and, I, I, yeah, that, that was problematic. That, But, I right. mean, I, I get he was trying to access that violent, um, you know, kick-ass character that he met in the, you know, outside the restaurant. Um, but I don't understand why, because really, it's just, when he just says it, she kind of is able to access it, right? Right. Like, so I don't know, like the slapping around. I, I didn't. I didn't like that part. No, I. I just didn't see the need for it. You know, right. because it, it. It was clearly the line about that one uh, square off they had, where he was getting her to remember. You know, the guns behind you know, behind his back. And, and, and of course she picked up on it. And then I loved at, at the end when she takes the guy down, honeymoon's over. <laughs> so, right. All right. So, you know, the uh, engagement aside, I think what, what we're really supposed to take away from that it is, as we said, Ballard's obsession with, you know, I, I don't even know clearing his name is, is the right label or not, but, but, 
clearly he is obsessed and it'll be interesting to see moving forward what happens with that but the other part of this episode that that i think is much more important are the moral and ethical issues that get raised and one of the first we see is sierra she's (laughs) imprinted dressed as i'm going by her accent a, a proper english woman right and uh, you know, clearly she, it does not have a mirror available to her no she does not uh, you know <laughs> she starts saying virtually everything politically socially incorrect that you can say she's got like the little pink pillbox hat and everything and uh you know like like looking like she's straight out of like 1962 or something yeah know? yeah exactly but uh is it ivy that opens the cabinet or was it topher when all the rats run out and uh i don't know because well ivy's taking care of sierra because she says i'm not comfortable with orientals yeah <laughs> and ivy just looks at her like what <laughs> right but it's clearly a prank pulled by dr saunders again and yeah you have to ask why is she messing with topher and how is it that she's able you know given that topher programmed her why is she able to do this in fact she points it out but there's a certain amount of pleasure that she's deriving from this and sure. is topher as she points out a sociopath in a sweater vest <laughs> that was a good line um I don't know if I would label Topher a sociopath per se. Because, uh, soci- I mean, well, obviously he's not. We see later in Epitaph 1, we see that he suffers a complete mental breakdown because of what he does. A sociopath would never feel remorse for, for what he or she had done. Um, that being said, She's just so frustrated that because she, you know she understands that she's not a quote unquote real person, and that she's like uh, you know like Topher created her, um, also created her with all these hangups that she is too scared to leave, uh, literally too scared to go outside, um, and so this is just ways for her to vent that frustration. And honestly, probably there's just not that much for her to do. Okay. So, I mean, a coping mechanism, as you allude, does she represent on one level Topher's conscience? Because, you know, all of these things she's doing to mess with him, you know, there, there is that not so subtle message that you're not God, even though you think you are. And, you know, I, I don't know. No, I, I think that's good. Like that, she uh, is definitely knocking him down a peg, you know. And I think while Topher is not enjoying that very much, it certainly is necessary. He, I think, he knows it's necessary. He knows he needs someone to check him, right? He needs someone to to make him question what he's doing. But despite that, it doesn't seem like he really does question what he's doing very much, you know? That's right. He doesn't, he never listens to Dr. Saunders. No. Now, Boyd mentions to her about the plastic surgery that Victor's having. And of course, we know from Epitaph 1 that the surgery was successful. Sure. And he asks her why she hasn't had her scars addressed. And I really 
found her answer to be pretty illuminating. I mean, she's aware of who and what she is and what she was. And, and like you mentioned, I mean, she doesn't know the person she was when she came to the dollhouse, but she understands that I'm an imprint. Right. And she admits that she's afraid to leave. And, and it's almost as if she's got a fear of everything. Is this fear programmed in? It, you know, is this something that Topher imprinted in her so that she would not want to leave? But, you know, she's a totally different person now, which it's really reflected in even the facial expressions that we see out of Amy Acker. And mm-hmm. it's just a totally different person. But- well, there's that, that one scene where she's like kind of like peeking out from behind the curtain as she's talking to Topher and she's acting crazy and she looks crazy. You know, like, I mean, she's just such an awesome actress. I just yeah. have to pause and say that. But um, but she shows, like, this wide range. And you could tell, like, while she's, like, Topher wants to put her in a box and just say, she's crazy, right? And that's the easily defined method. But she's she's so not, right? She's completely rational. She's doing this stuff just to mess with Topher. And, what, and then she acts crazy to boot. And that's just making Topher even more, like, flustered, you know? It's just right. awesome. Right. Meanwhile, she's going about her job as doctor for the actives, but she's also... But now she's really bitter about Echo, though, you know? Well, it, it, the thing about the scars, she's aware that if her scars are removed, the temptation for DeWitt to put her back in the field might be too great to ignore. Yeah, true, and true. While on the one hand, we feel as if we've gotten to know DeWitt enough that that's not something she would do, you never know. Right. Well, and when we see her in Epitaph 1, the scars are gone. Right. So she And she's just, she's completely whiskey, right? She's correct. She's completely wiped all of her personality. So, you know, I think that's significant there. Right. Now, Echo comes back from her engagement and she's having uh, an exam by Dr. Saunders and she flashes on a scene at a fancy event where she and Whiskey were together and, and about to kiss. And obviously this is before Alpha cuts her up. But yeah, Echo- there's some all kinds of Freudian stuff going on there. I don't even want to talk about. Yeah, you do. <laughs> But, you know, like, that's the moment that she flashes back to when they're about to kiss. I mean, you know. Well, but I think it's that that idea that she was number one. And, you know, a a lot of what we're seeing out of these different characters, both actives and employees, is this drive to find their self-worth and to find out who they really are within the context of not only the dollhouse, but the outside world. And, and with Dr. Saunders, it, it, that fear of actually going into the outside world it has been paralyzing up to this point. But, mm-hmm. you know, but this scene, I think it's significant because it, it does take her back to who she was. Now, I think we could argue that, all right, being number one because you're hot, you know, while, okay, it's something – it's not something that I think most parents want their child to aspire to. You know? Right. But in the, in the 
the doll verse, right? You know what they're judged on being their best, right? That's sure. their that's their goal, right? So be your best means looking the best that you can and taking care of yourself the best you can, and you know all that, right? And that's why I think she recognizes and in a lot of ways she's a lot more aware than echo is and and i guess you could argue that echo's continually going through these treatments but her fear that if she has her scars removed she'll go back into that same situation again and she's aware enough to know i don't want that but when when the examination's over like the doctor generally does did you see what she did with the lollipop yeah, well, she was going to give it to Echo, and then she just <laughs> yeah. ate it herself. Yeah, well, that's what I'm that. saying. She's like so bitter about Echo, right? Right. But isn't that normal? I mean, isn't that human? Sure. I mean, it might be something that we would strive to avoid acting like that, but I think most of us, it would be very difficult. So Right, well, especially when you're in this Petri dish where – it's this very, uh, you know, insulated area, and she can't get out. And so her whole world has just been reduced to, you know, her immediate surroundings, and it just pisses her off, you know? And so while, like, rationally, it's not Echo's fault, obviously, but, you know, she has to see her every single day. Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, what complicates things further is this senator that's calling for an investigation into the Rossum Corporation and Ballard and Boyd now going at it the way Boyd and Dominic were going at it. I mean, Boyd has become Dominic, which right. I find I find really uh, enjoyable to watch. Right. Not as maybe high strung, but but yeah, for sure. And. You know, obviously, they all look at at Ballard the minute they see the the senator talking. He's like, "Hey, it wasn't me." You know, like, right. why would I do that? I I need you guys. Why would I? Why would I do that? And then he's basically like, "You know, you should really check out Boyd here." You know, well, and I find it interesting that he says, "I know why I'm here," and I'm thinking like, "Well." Okay, why? You know, this whole sting operation to prove that you're actually a good agent? I mean, is that all it is? I thought you were here for Caroline. I mean, that was your obsession leading up to this. I love the fact that DeWitt is skeptical about the progress they're making on the Gunrunner case. And then she asks him to become Echo's handler because she knows that he needs something from Echo. And I'm thinking like, well, what? It's This is all getting out of hand. And I I look to DeWitt and I'm thinking like, dude, you're supposed to be the reasonable, rational one here. What's happening to you? Well, I don't know. I, I like the, how she's thinking here though. You know, like she realizes Ballard. I mean, everyone sees it, right? Yeah. That everyone sees that, that he's completely obsessed with her. He can't see it. Everyone else does. So she knows that this guy is going to take care of her. You know, because yeah. like what, what's happened here with this with this new clown, uh, like happened at the end of season one, is that her handler drops the ball because it's not Boyd, because Boyd get moved gets moved up and the new handler uh, is not 
doesn't put the time and care in, and so they mess up. And she knows Ballard wouldn't do that. Ballard would be so at her back, probably too at her back, but probably better than not at her back enough. Yeah, there's a lot of truth to that, I have to say. So, all right, well, perhaps my favorites, nah, no, perhaps my favorite scene in the episode, we're in the server room and we see that Saunders is in bed with Topher. Yeah. She's wearing a black negligee and, yeah. and we're thinking like, all right, what is her deal? Oh, we know her deal. And, and well, right. She's just messing with him again. Although he apparently did have a man reaction. Yeah. Well, she, she grabbed it. You know, she, yeah. She's, she went yeah. there. Yeah. And he points out how that was so unfair. But, but there's, you can't, the, the, sometimes it has a mind of its own. Right. But we get into the idea where she theorizes that he programmed her to hate him so she'd fall in love with him. And, and like, like what kind of twisted logic is that? Yeah. But that poignant scene in which she challenges whether or not he really cares and and you know he designed her to challenge him for the benefit of the house and you know i think sometimes it's hard to humanize topher i mean that i don't think is something that humanizes him i think that's pretty pragmatic that's what a good programmer would do mm-hmm. and as he says i didn't design you to hate me you chose to do that yeah. and and I guess what I love about this whole scene is that they're struggling, both of them, to figure out who it is they are. And I start to wonder, how did they get through the day? You know, look at where he's sleeping. He's sleeping in the server room. Right. I mean, what's that all about? I mean... I I think he's just maybe trying to get away from her, you know? Well, yeah, right. Is that the only place he feels safe? Yeah, Maybe. And that, that says something about Topher, that that's the only place he feels safe. I mean, right? well, is it guilt over what it is he does? I mean, does it represent that he's slowly losing his humanity and he feels at home with the machines? Right. Well, we know where he's ultimately going to end up sleeping, right? Well, we yeah, we do, exactly. Yeah. Um, so that's funny. But, like, do, do, do we, i just interject here, like, do we include Epitaph 1 when we talk about like what the audience is expected to know at this point? Because it wasn't on television. They right. just released it on DVD. Now, obviously, probably most of the people who watch Dollhouse, like me, bought the season one DVD set to just to see Epitaph 1 or, you know, borrowed it from one of their friends so i imagine a, a majority of of dollhouse viewers had seen epitaph one but that certainly couldn't be expected on the part of the the writing staff right well that's an interesting question i mean because i think at, at the core you're asking do we consider epitaph one canon and to me the answer is yes of course yeah. we do yeah, now, completely. now what it actually means at this point is up for debate like we said is it the future or a possible future right we don't know at this point you know it's it certainly plays a role here and like you said we know where he ends up sleeping in epitaph one but 
we also really see if we're looking at epitaph one as canon, which I think we have to do, we see the genesis of Topher's breakdown right. highlighted when she refers to him as the Lord, our God, which mm. I mean, it, it really crushes him. I think, I mean, he's well, good because at- yeah, because he doesn't see himself. I don't think he sees himself like that. Now, again, I'm not letting Topher off the hook here. What he does is still morally reprehensible. No question about it, but he doesn't see it like that way and he doesn't one thing about him is he does not have a power trip or anything he he doesn't do what he does in order to exercise control over other people he does what he does because he is a blindly following technology and science down whatever path it leads and he's completely heedless of where it's taken him Right. I mean, he's obsessed with curiosity, I think, is, is right. a, probably a reasonable way to to label him. And yeah, like you said, I mean, but I think he's starting to see you know, the, the walls starting to crumble a little bit. And mm-hmm. then Boyd goes into Claire's office and finds that note that she's left on her desk. And again, right. it was really brief. I had to go back and look at it again. Her white lab coat is on the floor implying that she's done being dr saunders uh-huh and and then of course the note i'm running out of excuses we see her driving out of the city uh, in a convertible i believe yeah but there uh, was like something underneath of it like I, i'm running out of excuses and then there was like and well, he flipped no. it down and there was something underneath of it oh i'm running out all right and then it says of excuses right right, right, right. right. yeah yeah right. okay gotcha and then while she's driving out of the city, Topher's sitting in bed reflecting. Yeah, and I, and I think we just both see, we see both of them just really coming apart at the seams. On the one hand, I guess we could argue that her overcoming her fear of going to the outside is actually a plus. But like you mentioned a few minutes ago, Epitaph One, we see her having reverted to her whiskey persona. Mm-hmm. So how do we reconcile that? I mean, at this point, we we can't, I don't think. But Well, except to know that she obviously comes back, right? Right, right. Like, she's then, not ro- like if we hadn't seen Epitaph 1, we might think, well, she's rolling out for good. Yeah. Like, that's right. it. Right. And then I, with all of this heavy stuff, it was nice. We have a sweet scene with Sierra and Victor holding hands as they're walking through the dollhouse. And, and I, look, I mean, who doesn't like Sierra and Victor? And then... Uh, you got to be pretty the, cold not to like that. Yeah, yeah. So we get to the closing scene. Ballard is apologizing to Echo for not doing better by her. And, and that, that response that I remember everything and mentioning that she feels all of these people. I've been many people. I can hear them. I'm all of them but none of them is me. Do you know who's real? And then she tells him she wants to find all the real them. I mean, she started, again, all I don't even know what that meant, though. Well, I I understand that. And then she says, we're lost, but we are not gone. Now, that's a little easier to grasp in, Mm -hmm. in, in that, you know, all of these people assuming that their wedges are still you know, stored safely in right. Topher's office, you know, who they really are still there. 
and, and they're yeah. not gone. And then asks him to help her. And then, you know, in that final scene, she's in the chair. He's her new handler. And then, of course, they recite the mantra that we've heard uh, numerous times. So, yes. I thought it was a really good episode. I mean, I thought it moved the story really far down the road. I mean, not too far that it, it left a lot of things uh, unanswered but or, or mm-hmm. not dealt with, but but still. So, I mean, for me, I'm going full yeah. on A. I thought it was a great okay. episode. Uh, I'm still sticking with uh, B. Okay. I... Uh, all right, so let me let me voice my objections. Okay, this because I really haven't, I really don't have like serious objections except for I thought the start was a little awkward, kind of like a "Hey, what'd you do over summer break?" type thing, which I guess is to be expected when with season two because you know the first episode of season two because you got to catch people up, remind them what happened before because it's been a while. Not all of them went out, got the DVD set. Uh, the whole thing with Martin, I thought, was just kind of ludicrous, I think. I, I, I guess that's really, I guess my big objection was the whole sting operation was just kind of silly, you know? Okay. I didn't, I didn't, it didn't, just didn't work for me. Like, why are they doing, like I said, like, Ballard, what are you doing? You're not in the FBI. Nothing you, come up with as evidence here is going to be admissible what are you doing except for risking echo's life like really really big time risking echo's life okay you know? and then he slaps her out at the end which also like i can't i have trouble giving an a to any episode where a, a woman is being you know beaten on by a man like that you know okay. i'm sorry no, no, so that's... um you know um and and finally last but not least why do English people say Ballard and not <laughs> I Ballard? I did not. Right? Yeah. I was like, both of them. So you got two English people, they both said, Mr. Ballard. Yeah. <laughs> it's Ballard. Yeah. You're in America. Talk yeah. right. All right. Oh, I like it. So, yeah. All right. So, All that, right. so that's, that's my breakdown. I'm sticking with the B. Okay. I'm uh, See, lots of times when I talk through it, I can, if I'm stuck between like a, you know, like a B and a B plus, a, you know, like if I talk through it a little bit, I can come to a definite conclusion. So there you go. B, boom. Okay. All right. Sounds good. All right. So anything else? Um, no. A lot of, lot of push-up bras and lingerie in this one, though. That was <laughs> yeah. Generally a good thing. Yeah. So. Not, that's not bad. Yeah. So, all right. Well, I guess that'll do it for this one. Uh, you know, certainly good to get back to Dollhouse. And, you know, we got one more week of that before Travelers returns. So, want to thank you guys for joining us. Love to hear what you think about Dollhouse, upcoming Travelers, upcoming librarians down the road, even a little bit uh, further. Encourage you to join the Facebook group. Share your thoughts with the Sci Fi TV Rewatch community. If you're already a member, spread the word emails as always to sci-fi tv rewatch at gmail.com voicemails can go via the speak pipe tab which you can access through the website we'll be back next week to talk about season two episode two of dollhouse titled instinct but until then you know it's really funny because i was just watching c-span the other day and the, the house of representatives they're arguing and everything and the one guy gets up he says that is the minority vote and you tricked it he was asleep It could have been Fozzie Bear. Not that I think about Fozzie Bear.